Comrades and friends, hello. It's us again. We're here. We're back. We're doing it in the shadow of Rockford Tower in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast, and this is your Dover update for the week. Uh, it's the evening of 16 June, Thursday. It's about 8.15. Just to let you guys know, we slog all the way down to Dover, we slog all the way back, and we prepare a beautiful update for you in the state versus the Auditor of Accounts, Kathleen McGinnis. Uh, Bill, hello. How are you? Hey, Rob. Hey, Carl. Uh, good evening. Let's just start this uh, episode off on the right foot and keep in mind the concept of confidentiality. Confidentiality was discussed a little bit today. It's a concept. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a way of life. And, you know, on one hand, it's a weird way that people use to segment and silo um, their employees when they're doing nefarious, shady shit. But also, I mean, in accounting, there's a good reason to be um, <laughs> to be tight with your info. Yeah, so, well, we'll get to the confidentiality when we get to it, I guess. Indeed. So the day starts out, um, we were a little bit late getting there. Bill had to park the car, so I, I roll in there uh, quick, and what I see is that <laughs> our friend Frank Robinson, uh, the, the AG's investigator uh is being sworn in and i'm like holy shit this guy's gonna really get it well what what he was sworn in for was just to authenticate a phone interview a recording of a phone interview he did um with virginia bateman who is a sailor mcginnis's friend uh college uh, high school you know they grew up together she's in college now and she had to take the stand this morning because she's going away you know for a big beach party as 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 you know as girls do uh, it's that time of year, you know, fun in the sun, um, you know, tip back some some uh, some black cherry, you know, uh, sodas and uh, have fun. Yeah, so get she, on that she, boat with the rusty rudder. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, float around in circles for a while. Yeah. So the cool thing was, um, of course, Frank Robinson takes a stand just to authenticate this thing but of course Steve Wood stands up and says uh, you know I'm going to reserve the right to cross-examine this witness and I'm thinking to myself I bet you are um, but then so um, Bateman takes the stand after this audio is played which is um, and I have the date I have to look it up it's sometime in June I feel like of this year see if I can find it June yeah so she gets a call in June from the investigator. He basically gets her on the phone and says, I have some questions. We're investigating, or I don't even know, you know if he used the word investigating. We're looking into um, how seasonal casual employees were handled in the auditor's office uh, during like COVID time. We're just like checking in. And he just asks her like a bunch of really like mundane questions like what kind of work do you do? How many people work there? Do you remember when you started? Et cetera, et cetera. Just stuff like that. And they leave it like, okay, well, you know, I know you're going back to school or whatever, you know, but whatever. And that's how they leave it. So it comes, it becomes pretty obvious that what they're trying to do is establish the idea that 
the investigation sort of got out in June after that phone call because what uh, Elizabeth Sailor McGinnis says she did as soon as she hung up the phone with that guy is text her friend and call Kathy. So they don't really say what she said. Um, she said she got a call from an investigator asking questions, I guess, or, or an, a, a DOJ person sort of asking questions. Um, Steve Wood was, um, was quite adamant that, you know, he didn't say she was under criminal investigation or he was criminally investigating her or the auditor or anybody. So it wasn't explicitly said. But I think the, uh, you know, the, the, the obvious uh, thing you can draw from it is that she immediately called Kathy and be like, this guy from the DOJ just called me asking me these questions. So that was part of it. Also part of it was to establish um, that she was able to bank hours. So she could go, uh, with, you know, she could only work the 29 and a half for a week. But if she, you know, worked eight hours a day, seven days at the at the Harrington Fair, um, she could bank hours and then just get paid for those hours um, the following week. Um, what she didn't know, I guess, was that, as they said, you could just you don't have to do that. It'll just pay you out anyway. It doesn't really matter that it says twenty nine and a half. But in any in any case, um, she did that. She she uh, she drove. Kathy and um, Sailor around as a chauffeur, basically. It sounds like she did most of the driving because um, the McGinnises don't like to drive. So back and forth to work, to events, um, you know, to to take photos of Kathy, to put on social media. They call it staffing Kathy, which was pretty I love funny. That expression. I, yeah. So it's, she's like, well, we just like we call it staffing Kathy. You know, we set up these pressers. We you know, we take pictures of her giving her speech, and then we put it on social media and all of this stuff, which which I thought was a, was a pretty great uh, expression. And this is but, just my speculation, too. Those other activities are combined with putting on enormous political buttons that may or may not say uh, McGinnis for auditor. Yeah, I mean, is it is it is it election is, is it politicking? Is it electioneering? I mean, I guess who's to say? Um. The only other little tidbit from this, and I don't know if this has been reported, but it, she was asked near the end of her testimony um, how the full-time staff treated her and Sailor like in the office. And her answer was that the full-time staff were, quote, outwardly rude to Sailor and myself. Um, they asked her to give some examples, and it was just like, you know, they sort of ignored her or they talked behind her back and they found out that they were like just getting talked about, I guess. And again, we come to we, we have a better picture of why that might be later on in the day. So that was the first witness. Um, Sailor McGinnis's friend, um, Virginia Bateman. And just wanted to clarify, I think you may have misspoke. It was this. So this would have occurred the phone call from the AG's investigator, Mr. Robinson, to Virginia was June of 2021. Oh, yes. What did I say? I think this year. Like, So, yeah, oh, I think yes. yeah, okay. I, I know what you mean. Thank you. Yes, but thank you. That, and just to kind of make the timeline um, kind of part of the story. So that's June of 2021. Kathy's indictment uh, comes out October 10th, I believe, 2021. And this may be an issue later on for another count when it comes to witness intimidation, uh, I don't know the code, the code section verbatim, but I think, Rob, we were talking about it. When did Kathy know she was under investigation or when should she reasonably have known so? 
Right. So I think that that's, you know, if, if your if your daughter's best friend gets a phone call, a six minute phone call from a, an old guy who's an investor, you know, he's a PI or whatever. Right. Right. Um, did do her ears kind of prick up and uh, you know, does she think something's afoot here? So yeah, just one, but it could be some, yeah, and, and, and I, will next say, week. I didn't, I didn't make um, specific note of it. Um, but I, 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 I'm positive. This will be pointed out in, in the close when all of this is pieced together. I believe several of the, uh, the DTI e records requests were made like near the end of June, which is like, that doesn't look great. Um, but but again, we'll have to we'll have to try to match those up and see how it all sort of pieces together during the during the close. Um, the next uh, the next witness was the woman who took the stand yesterday afternoon. From she's like the head of the accounting department at finance, so she comes back on to start to try to explain sort of these really sort of arcane accounting rules. And exactly like how they should be followed and why somebody might misinterpret them. Um, what like what these payments really mean? Like, can you can you split these payments? Can, was it really split or was it, you know, just on one invoice? Was it the same purchase order in one invoice? So it was a lot of like technical um, accounting stuff. I don't know how it's going to fly with the jury. Um, I will say this as part of the. Uh, the, the Steve Wood razzle dazzle and I, and I want to get your your feeling on this bill he so when Kathy did the stuff the limits on contracts that didn't need that, could, that didn't need bidding competitive bidding was 50 grand now two years later or whatever it's a hundred grand the payments Thank you, Thank you, Brandon. That's inflation yeah let's go he, I did that um, the the amount on payments that you could make without getting without getting either pre-approval or going through the other process was is was five thousand dollars. Now it's ten thousand dollars. Well, it's interesting because when they put they put the current rules up, so it says a hundred grand. So when you say that Kathy did forty nine and then made the extra payment to fifty two to put it right over the line, it's he's 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 sort of introducing in a way the idea that they've already pushed it up both the payment and the f- contract amounts in the accounting rules. So it's like, well, yeah, I mean, she, it looks borderline when you do it like that, but really they've already bumped those up. So, you know, whatever, which I thought was a, a very, very funny way to put it. Uh, he actually asked a question of the, of the witness uh, when he was talking about today. He was like, so if you want to do like just a $100,000 contract with uh, uh, Steve Wood, say, and he's talking, he was like, so this $100,000 contract to Steve Wood, he's like, hey, I'm really liking this idea. Like, he tells a lot of corny jokes that the judge doesn't like. Um, and it's also very funny because I, I'm sure that he's absolutely just, he, he's going to have a boat after this that's just going to be called the Gray, the SS Gray Fox or something. Like, it's incredible. I can't imagine the, the, the billable hours that's going into this team, this team of defense. Uh, you know, they have like maybe three attorneys, a tech guy, um, a, a paralegal. Two paralegals. Uh, and, and, yeah, two paralegals and wood. So it's just like it's who I'm, I'm telling you um, the other the last thing that the uh, the woman in accounting was talking about uh, was this thing they call after the fact waivers. So you have a contract signed with a vendor. It could be for it could be for any amount. 
and you have to make this expenditure because now you have a signed contract. What you're supposed to do immediately is set up a purchase order so that the money is what they call encumbered. So the money is just set aside to pay that contract. So then when you put your invoices in, they pay it. Well, for any number of reasons, which Steve Wood was so happy to, to lay out, um, this happens uh, th- it happens very often that no purchase order is available. So you have a contract, the, the invoices start coming in because you're getting those goods and services, but there's no, you haven't set up the mechanism to, pe- to remit payments to these invoices. And so he, he went rapid fire uh, with many, many of these what they call after-the-fact waivers. I'll give you some examples. The AG's office herself got a $107,000 waiver uh, that was approved by OMB and the Secretary of Finance uh, for some kind of professional services. Uh, the uh, Medicaid assistance program did one for $49,995, uh, just like Kathy did. Uh, the Division of Public Health did one in 2020 for $49,995 because that was during COVID. It was the, they did it the September of 2020. They had a COVID reason because it was just some, you know, sort of probably some sort of maybe emergency expenditure. Um, the Department of Education did one for forty nine grand. The Banking Commission that Bullock had to sign off on did one for fifty grand. Um, there's a couple really good ones. Health and Social Services did one for six million sixty thousand um, dollars, and the the ex- explanation was that the person, uh, no, this one was a holiday. So they they made the contract was ma- was made in in like the twelfth of December. Uh, in 2018, but then it came due in 2019, but people were off. The people who could do this, set this purchase order up, were off. So they had to they had to do, like, a, I'm sorry, we forgot to set up the payment mechanism on $6 million bucks. The Department of Corrections did one for $7.6 million. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of these that he's just running down uh, all around. And the last one uh, was the most significant one, uh, the Department of Agriculture, paid but just by mistake they didn't know they had to get it prepaid like for some awards like 55 5600 bucks uh, on their p card on their state credit card uh, without pre-approval so they had to get um, one of these after the fact uh, documents uh, done so it, it could have been done now of course number one Kathy McGinnis and the auditor's office never filled one of these out number two on the bottom of each one of these forms says that a copy of this form goes to, like, I want to say OMB or some sort of finance agency yeah. and the Office of Auditor of Accounts. So they file every time, and, 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 and as the woman said, I think she said fairly often, I think Steve Wood tried to say often, and she qualified it in some way, and then, you know, it's just cloudy language, but it happens pretty often, and he just found some ones that were obviously some of the more blatant examples for whatever reason. But at the bottom of every one, it's like, file this with the auditor. So they get the, they know what the process is. They get the, they get the, the forms afterwards. They can't I claim ignorance here on this one. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think so. I mean, they literally blew it up. It was like, uh, you know, send co- CC these people. Um, so I, I, I thought that was, um, that was pretty funny. Um, I, I also will say that we met, a, we met a guy who just, he was just, a, I guess he was just a curious uh, member of the public um, today who, um, you know, he was a talker. Like, he wanted to know what, why we were there. He wanted to know about the website. Uh, he was telling us about he was supposed to trim the hedges today at the house, but it rained in the morning, so he went to come to the trial because he was an auditor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but every time Wood would throw up a new exhibit 
to show one of these um, after the fact changes. And the, as the numbers got higher, like they were like six million dollars, he was like, oh. And I'm looking at him like he's like audibly like like oh seven million oh man can you believe that I'm like I didn't know numbers can go this high I'm like first of all bro I mean take it easy but uh the, I I I did he was a uh, he was a he was a guy he was he, let's just say he was the typical guy if, the things he said were things that you would expect him to say we'll just put it that way yeah classic retiree vibes i don't want to call him a crank yet i think i'd have to know more of his opinions but uh you know kind of a pleasant uh, just guest in the courtroom with us today yeah yeah absolutely uh it was a little you know it's a little shaking it up a little bit different um so, so rob can i just maybe yeah, so here's what I was going to do. I want you to give some of your reflections, and then we can talk about the last two uh, witnesses of the day. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I, I think so. I was, I think I was out of the courtroom when it sounds like Steve Wood for the defense was kind of you know holding this masterclass, um, just rapid fire with you know with his IT support, just putting all of these what the change of change of request orders after after the fact after the uh, fact yeah. yeah after the fact changes so you know, yeah it basically just says you didn't. You have a contract. They sent you to bill, uh, but you forgot to set up the purchase uh, order, and so there's no mechanism for it to be paid, and so you have to go through this exception process um, to get it paid. Yeah. So I think you know, in my in my opinion, these these first two counts that they've been dealing with, it's the you know the uh, contract with my campaign group uh, paid in the aggr aggregate of over fifty thousand dollars, which means it should have been a. Uh, a public agreement. I guess it should, there should have been more transparency there. Maybe even a, a placed on sort of like a public bidding schedule rather than with the way Kathy did it, which was, you know, we're going to keep this under 50 K let's just enter into the agreement. You know, uh, we don't have to tell anyone really. Uh, and then the second count, which I believe is theft by a public official of more than $1,500. So uh, these are pretty dry counts to prove. I think that it's, you know, I don't know how I would do it differently than, than the AG's office, but they're doing a think, you know, kind of a, a, a weird job of it right now. I, you know, I'm kind of zoning out. Uh, so I'm sure that the jury members are as well. So I think that the defense has had this kind of cool strategy to just now, yeah, just, just inundate with more, uh, you know, questioning of when payments were paid. Well, that's, is that the check date or is that the date of authorization? And just really throwing this woman, um, is Cole from the, uh, accounting office off her game. Um, yeah, the other thing he did, I think I should mention, speaking of throwing her off her game, they're using her to set the stage for a huge showdown with Frank Robinson. I think we've mentioned before, both the, both the indictment uh, and the search warrant make statements about structuring payments that aren't necessarily fully accurate. He's he basically gets her to say that they're false, and that's that's correct. That's the correct answer because when you look at these things, it, it is false. The way they structured them, like they were on the same invoice ticket, they were just paid by a different method, so it wasn't really split between three. It was maybe two different payments. So it's just sort of like this arcane. So what they're trying to say is that Robinson perjured himself and lied on these two sworn documents the these the search warrant uh and the indictment which basically explain the structuring thing in a way that's not it's, it's not accurate by the rules of accounting and so they're going to 
they're going to basically just they're going to say this guy's a liar. But 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 what he's lying about, I, I it's hard to say. It's hard to say whether it's significant or not because it's these accounting rules that it's very difficult for me to parse. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it went it went on for a while. I was just looking at my notes, and and Judge Carpenter uh, exclaimed to uh, Steve Wood at one point, "You know, sir, you've been pounding this issue for hours. Can we please stop?" Yeah, well, he did say he came he came out in the afternoon. He was like, "Look, this is one of the women, uh, one of the one of the men and women who make sure my check is correct twice a month. So can you stop aggravating her and just get to the end of this?" <laughs> yeah, no, I joked that by the end she seemed just yeah you know, a little exhausted. It kind of reminded me of like Liz Warren walking back her support of Medicare for all in uh, 2020. But uh, that was just you know that was it was a long morning and afternoon for for her. Yeah. So do you want to do you want to introduce the last two? How the last the, the sort of so here's here's where we kind of get, start to get a shift, and I think I referred to this on yesterday's uh, or this morning's episode after yesterday's uh, trial day as a slow burn. So we've had like the as as Bill said we've had like accounting rules and structuring and what the amount of the contract was and how they were paid. Now we're getting into some different some different types of charges. Yeah. Now we're actually kind of getting a peek behind the curtain and seeing uh, or hearing from some former employees uh, at the auditor's office. And uh, this was um, Ms. Rosalie Maurice and Ms. Lisbeth Marie Vargas. Uh, and they both basically, I, I don't want to generalize, but they worked as sort of a front desk uh, administrative assistants at the OAOA from about let's say, uh, you know, say a few months before the pandemic hit. So let's say maybe winter, uh, would that be winter night 2019 or 20, yeah, winter 2019 to about just after sort of the, after that initial shock where no one was going into the office anymore. And uh, it sounded like, like each of them may have come back. Uh, it was remaining in their roles as sort of casual seasonal part-time employees. Um, all that sounds good, Rob. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the highlights, the highlights of this are here's what I think that they are. Um, Rose Maurice was was the first woman. Um, she uh, she was quote interviewed. She came in with a resume. She was asked a few questions. She was referred by one of the auditors in the office, so she was sort of hired on the spot. Um, but the, the 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 gist there is that. Um, when they spoke to Virginia Bateman in the morning, she was not interviewed. And so it seems like there was a little more of a process for her. Uh, and both uh, Rose uh, and Elizabeth Mary Vargas both uh, basically confirmed that they were making 1540. They were making 1545. They couldn't remember exactly. They said it was like 1540 something or 1550. They both knew around about what it was. Um, and so they did, and then as we said, and as I'm sure will come out later, um, both uh, Sailor and Virginia were making 1750, um, which again, that's just a fact. Like you can take that, take for that what you want. It's not, it's not a lot of money, um, but I think, I think a lot of this proves that really what Kathy McGinnis is is just an opportunist. She's just a striver, you know. She's 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 climbed social ladders at the beach, and she has fancy friends. And she saw the opportunity to do something for her friends. 
Um, the other thing that came out with these two uh, these two seasonal workers were they they did um, mostly like admin work. Um, they answered the phones. They were there at the front desk to buzz people in. They kept calendars. They would you know they would uh, help write uh, meeting agendas, which we'll get into at the end. Um, but they were really treated in a sort of a weird way. Like the the power went out. They told a story where the power went out <clears throat> at one point, and they let everybody go, but they forgot to tell them at the front desk. They were like just standing there in the dark, and they couldn't get out the front door because it's electric. It has a buzzer thing, so they had to go out the back, the emergency door. But nobody told them, uh, which was odd. They basically asked them, you know, were you involved in any like just like did you have friends at the office? And they were like, no. Um, you know, they really didn't. They said hello and whatever, but we didn't fraternize with them. Uh, and, and like they played cornhole, you know, that's a, that was a story. in I think one of the lawsuits, uh, they were never invited to the cornhole tournaments at lunchtime. Um, but the, the picture that they're painting of, uh, sailor and Virginia are that when they got there, they were called, there's a, what, there was some overlap and they were called interns. They weren't called like casual seasonal admin people. They were called interns and it was just you could tell that there was a separation between then these 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 two uh, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Mary and Rose wind up basically resigning. Now here's a little here. This is very interesting too because the common understanding of what happened here, I think, is a little bit. It's not accurate, and I want to get your feeling on this, Bill. Basically, the feeling is, oh, she fired these two people to hire her daughter and her daughter's friend. What happened is a little more complicated. It's, 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 it's sort of the same thing because, again, she's just taking an opportunity to do something. Um, but I'll give you an example. Uh, Elizabeth Mary Vargas has uh, children. She has a special needs child. Um, she had a problem with her child care. The person who did her child care had a family emergency out of state. And basically, she sent Kathy a text message explaining the situation and saying, look, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of June. I might be able to start back up uh, in, in September when school starts and there are more services available uh, or I can resign, I guess. Uh, and so Kathy's like, oh, you, can, you, can, you can resign. I'm so sorry. So that's kind of how that went. Like, so she, she knew like right away she was like, OK, well. You know, this is this is my chance to like maybe move somebody else in. She was, I mean, I don't know what the time difference was between the two texts, but it was literally like this long text about her family and what she could do. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm." She did say she's like, "I'm so sorry that happened. Whatever. Um, you can send your resignation to my email." And that was that was how that ended. So again, not necessarily fired, uh, not let go for any reason, but like when the opportunity presented itself, you know, there you go. Um, the other the other woman. Uh, uh, Rose Maurice, she was just wanted more hours, and she couldn't get more hours because they worked. They sort of split time. These two, they they both worked half a week basically, like Tuesday, Thursday for one, and Monday, Wednesday for the other, and then they split Friday or something. Um, but they just weren't getting the hours, so um, she went on unemployment. I think she said, and then finally just um, you know basically got a better job in another department, but did send a resignation letter. That read. Did, did you did you transcribe the the resignation email or the resignation letter? 
Well, I, I think just the letter. And it, okay. yeah, so, so uh, Rose left on good terms overall. Uh, it sounded like a rather positive experience working with Kathy. You know, she was the one who would drive her some places. Um, but yeah, there was a line in the resignation letter <laughs> to Kathy that said, keep being the true humanitarian that you are. I thought that was great. I mean, that was pretty sweet, actually. Very sweet. Yeah. And uh, I did note that there was there's some interesting body language during this as well. Like Kathy was kind of like smiling over at the jury, uh, I guess, as you would do as a defendant. But yeah, I mean, she she does that whenever there is a, a little piece of information that comes out that like something like that, that just paints her in a good light, whatever it is. Or if it's again, like I said, if it's something that Steve Wood brings up, she's she immediately gets a big like shit-eating grin on her face and looks right at the jury. And she's and, and so I get like I said, I guess you would do that maybe. Maybe you would do it. I mean, maybe she can't do it in like a normal way. She's like she's not <laughs> Bill Bill is literally shaking his head from side to side. She cannot do it. Um yeah, she's not able to do it, so that's how it comes off. She's like, see, I'm a real humanitarian. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, you know, that's me. Yeah, so I think that was was that roughly, you know, that pretty much brought us up to the end of week one. Yeah, that that's that's the end that's the end of week one. Um, you know what we know now is, I think it's going to start ramping up. Uh, Bill and I talked about this on the way home today. Um, that the attorneys were sort of chatting after the jury left, but before um, the, the 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 judge um, dismissed everybody, where it was. Like they still they are behind schedule. Um, of course, the the judge was was very um, contrite with the jury because they've been very patient with a lot of like fucking around. It was much better today. It went, you know, they they got a lot of work done today. Um, they did have a couple lengthy sidebars, but for the most part, um, the text sorted out things. You know, they they saw a bunch. You know, it was it was a it was a productive day, but they're behind. And Denny said something about like having fifteen maybe witnesses left, which again some of them can only maybe last forty five minutes, but it seemed a little bit, it seemed like a lot. Um, and Steve Cook said something like, or Steve Wood said something like, um, "Well, I'm I might call some of the ones you call, so that'll that'll that'll." Um, if you call him, then I wouldn't. And so my my, my he said we're going to put on a case, but it might be very short. So you know my my thought is that once the prosecution rests, it's quite possible that we're like a day from the from the verdict. Um, you know, Steve Wood might put on a half a day's worth or a day's worth of of witnesses, and then we're talking about you know half days of closing statements, and it goes to the jury. So, as I said, it's a slow burn, but I think I think things are going to start happening faster at the at the at the business end than they did at the beginning of the first week. I think we could characterize it as a slog. Absolutely. I mean, I think the best you know, what I gleaned from today was that the bunker can approach the auditor's office later this year and enter into a ninety nine thousand nine hundred dollar contract for podcasting services. That's correct. I mean, but we're already we're I mean, we're I don't want to. I don't want to speak too soon, but things are already in the works now. We're, yeah, we're planting the seed here. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm giving her team a, a nice, uh, polite smile every once in a while. <laughs> Hopefully, they put a, a good word in for me. <laughs> well, uh, Carl, 
Uh, how are you feeling, buddy? Because I, I want to talk to you quickly before we uh, before we shut down for the week. And I think that I did mention uh, no court tomorrow and no court on Monday. Um, so Bill and I will be going back down next week, Tuesday, uh, for another uh, another run at this, and we'll give you another update. Uh, but Bill and I are taking a much needed uh, much needed hiatus uh, from this uh, this week. Um, but before we take that break. Uh, I, I want to get a little update from, from Carl, and, and I'd like to maybe give everybody a pep talk. I think Bill mentioned, um, you know, we've been following the other news in, uh, in organizing and advocacy and lobbying uh, for progressives and leftists. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of bummed out. Um, but I think there's also reason to just uh, to say this is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stay the course and just ramp up. Um, Carl and I kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday. Um, but do you want to give us a little update, Carl, and then we can uh, close her out? Yeah, the updates are are bad. Yeah, they're um, not good. It's so the two big ones that we had were um, so there was a House admin meeting on Wednesday, and then there was one earlier today as well. So the Green Amendment had gotten pushed, so it actually finished the public comments today, and then they voted to table it, which basically means it is dead for the year. Um, and that doesn't have to mean that they can technically bring it back up at another meeting or they could still walk it if they wanted to. But, uh, Val was like, you know, she seemed like she was willing to do something, whether that was sincere or not. Whereas Pete Mitchell, everybody else was just like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. Um, so yeah, that was great. That was great. And then immediately after, um, Eric Morrison had his campaign finance bill, which, uh, with a few different recommendations from the VZ report, which was a that'd be a cool episode maybe to do at some point in the future if we have like a campaign finance focused one. But basically, in the I think mid to late knots, I think it was there was a big campaign finance scandal where uh, this company was like funneling a bunch of money through different things and just like breaking a bunch of laws and it came against huge scandal. And uh, there was this report released that basically said, okay, here's what happened. Here's what we can do to fix it in the future. And so some of those things were changed, but most of them were not. So Eric's bill would have done four things. So it was um, requires you to report uh, your employer and your job title uh, when you're given donation, which is already done at the federal level. So that's um, basically like one of the things that was happening in this situation was um people would give donation or force their employees to give donations through their companies. So they'd be able to like triple quadruple, you know, however many, uh, their donations. Uh, so being able to review that would sort of be help them catch things like that a little bit quicker. Um, requires the, this is a fun one requires the department of election to actually review, uh, these financial reports and see if they're actually correct. Cause if you actually look through the financial reports, you'll see that there's regularly things that just aren't correct. So either they don't report the numbers all correctly, it goes up to over 600, this or that. Um, so it would require the DOE to actually look through that. Um, it would require the DO, uh, Department of Elections to have um, a place where you can publicly report campaign, campaign finance violations. And then it would prevent candidates who violate a campaign finance law from giving that money to a charity. Um which sounds like, oh, that's evil. Why would you prevent them from getting money to charity? But basically what would happen is that these candidates would get money uh, over the amount, and then when they got caught, they would donate to a charity and say, like, oh, 
I'm such a humanitarian. I'm just giving this money to charity when it's just they're trying to cover up their behavior. Yeah, um, I mean, we that, know we know we know what big we know what philanthropy really is. Uh, we, yeah. we can have a so conversation about that sometime too. Four bills, or four four changes in this one bill. All great ideas. That bill got shot down so quick. Pete Schwartzkopf was not having any of it. So yeah, like they didn't even get like there was a little bit of public comment, and then it just speedily got tabled after that. Uh, so there's some other bills out of that didn't none of them that we were following super closely. And then the actually, as we talk are talking, the house vote is still going on. They're voting on like 20 different things today. And actually the Senate might be still going as well. Um, so if you're a big gun bill fan, looks like the gun bills are passing. Oh yeah. And the vote by mail is up in the Senate today as well. And, uh, Colin Bonini, what a champ. He put 25 amendments on this bill. I mean, he's, he's um, working hard. Yeah, he's, he's working hard down there. He's our, doing our, whatever our, he can to help out. Yeah. Stay puff marshmallow, man. Yeah. So, um, <sighs> yeah. So, all together. So, at least those things that are on the floor <clears throat> all seem to be passing at least, which is good. But, ooh, they're not even through the big, the big uh, gun bills yet in the Senate. So, they're going to be there late because it is currently 845. Yeah. Well, you know what? I guess... They only go to if they, when you only go to work two and a half days a week. This is what happens. Uh, well, my my thought was like, yeah, you know, again, this was this was never where we were going to get any joy. Like, I know that it's sort of it's built to the, the whole process from the grassroots up is built to bring everybody into solidarity and then make change at the governmental level. It's like democracy. Um, but the the issue is it's it's always going to be there last, and like yeah, I mean we didn't get anything. Um, we took another L as as usual. Um, but people turned up. There was there was a, a few silver linings. Um, I will ask you two guys as we as we close for the week. I feel like, and I mentioned this in the thinking the Slack channel. Like, I feel like now I'm getting way, way too far into this. Like, I'm like in too deep, and my perspective is just completely fucked. Like, I always try to keep, like, say, like, uh, you know, regular people don't know about this. Just you can't assume people are gonna like turn up or or care about this or there's enough pressure. Um, but I actually do feel like the the atmosphere, the, the the feeling around organizing, around progressive and leftist advocacy, around um, just demonstrating and putting together, you know, sort of coalitions of people. I feel like it's starting to get to the point where it, people are noticing it. And it's not being it. All, it used to be the work we did would be like uh, marginalized. It's like on the margins, and sometimes it would get press, and sometimes it wouldn't. Um, but really, it was it was extremely uh, sort of fringe. It doesn't seem as fringe to me, and and I'm trying to be not like I'm trying not to have my perspective fucked up. But I, I wonder whether you guys feel the same. And 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 again, I'm I'm not trying to say this to to feel good. I mean, we we took another fucking beating, okay. Um, but but I feel like like the part of the part of it that I like 
Because I don't like Leg Hall. The place gives me the creeps. I don't like almost anybody in there. As I said with, with Cheyenne, uh, as it's her, you know, her sort of motto, uh, throw them all in the trash. So I don't like it there. Like, I, I don't, you know. And so I like organizing people. I like the fight. And I feel like at that level, I feel like we're making progress. And that only means good things. Now, it doesn't mean good things tomorrow, unfortunately. But I, I, I feel like there's some pro in the organizing space and just getting people involved and activated in different ways and creative ways that sort of like are um, they're just young people, diverse young people I'm seeing. They were never, every young person who was into politics in Delaware 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago, was just like a young Democrat. It's not, it's not true anymore at all. And so that, I think that's the best way to describe it. Now, I, maybe I'm wrong because I know like Carl probably knows a lot of like young Dems and like Strivers and stuff. So maybe I'm completely delusional. I don't know. I mean, Carl, am I completely delusional? I think just a little bit delusional. Okay, um, but you're you're in a bad mood though. So can we? Well, no. So I think. There's definitely, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you in terms of like over the last, and it's hard for me because I think the time that I started getting involved and the time that you started getting involved were very similar. Yeah. Um, obviously, we were in different places for the first half of that um, before meeting each other even. Right. But uh, yeah, like it feels like the changes over the last six years in Delaware politics um and I know I, I had suggested to our, our friend Dale Norwood to start reading only in Delaware. And so I started picking it up as well. And C- Celia Cohen's coming back in a big way. Yeah. You're, you're hearing it more and more. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people from that era and that, that book breaks it down to era. So there's like the, oh shoot, what was the guy's name? Is it Carvel? Carvel Boggs era, the uh, Roth DuPont era, and then the Castle Carper era. Um, and I think the reason that a lot of people started getting involved in 2016, there was many, many, many different reasons, but I think we're also starting to see the end of sort of this previous era and the, the beginning of something new that I think kind of started to really take off in 2016. Obviously there was some framework before that and it didn't start, didn't start then didn't end there. But like, even that congressional election the fact you start to see primaries for the first time in some of these seats and like eugene's campaign all this different stuff like there's a lot of energy brewing in delaware politics over the last six years and even if you look at like what leg hall looked like in 2016 the people who are considered the progressive flank of the caucus and you compare them to the progressive flank of the caucus now um yeah things have just shifted so massively um both in that electoral space in that just straight up organizing space um, and maybe there's been stuff like this before. I don't know. I've only been here for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. Yeah, it, seem, it's, it's, it seems like, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a perfect way to put it. Sort of like if you look at it in an era and, and, and look at it that way, that framework, you know, that idea does, I think, describe what I'm talking about. 
because we're sort of like it's like a Gramsci thing, right? One heir is dying and another one's struggling to be born. So you're the in old the old world's dying, the new one struggles to be born. There you go. This is the and time of monsters. Is, yeah, yeah, this is it. But I mean, but I don't think, you know, that's sort of like, you know, flowery political philosophy talk. But when you talk about the number of people who are involved, not with mainstream democratic politics, but with leftist organizing type of politics, when you talk about people who have, who have won, who have won sort of insurgent candidacies, it's all, it's all on our side. Now, the trick is to be able to like, to be able to turn that into a new era. It seems like we're doing it, and again, it's going to take it's it's going to take quite a while. But that's why you know you have to think about it like an era. Like I always try to, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock anybody, because uh, I know everybody's um, sort of working very hard to stand up some very and 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 not just stand up, but start to get momentum for some very serious primary challenging campaigns coming up. And I think that that's incredibly important for tons of reasons we already talk about so i don't want to discourage anybody but yeah this is not an electoral cycle sort of idea that we're talking about it's like figuring out how to put the structure in place and the and the organizing apparatus and activating people into a mass movement that's going to that's going to say the next time somebody says you know what's the next era in delaware politics it's it's going to be the Medina Marie Pinckney era, you know, or the Eugene Young era, you know, that's what we have to be. That's how we have to be thinking about this, I think. And again, this is not to uh, diminish uh, any activity that's going on right now in the electoral realm, but really that's, we should be thinking like that. Yeah, absolutely. Both you guys um, hit the nails on the heads. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be brief. I think that organizing you know, from a leftist perspective is a lot of hard work and it's going to be a lot of losses, uh, rather than smooth sailing and, you know, just kind of mentally preparing for that and, uh, remaining on track, uh, having both short and long-term goals are crucial. Um, and, you know, Rob, to your point, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and I was a a young kid, you know, the sort of the more progressive left-leaning activists, you know, they're kind of like got, you know, people who voted for Nader or like uh, up in central New York, there was an organization called NYPIRG, which was a public interest group and, you know, like Occupy to a degree. I feel like the organizers here locally are so great uh, because they're, they're well-rounded. They don't necessarily care about, you know, one or two pet issues. They're there to, you know, maybe pick things that are that they're passionate about, but they're helping out others um, on a whole range of things. So, you know, that's why I'm going to keep uh, working <laughs> and doing some fun stuff like this. But, um, you know, got to kind of keep our eyes on the prize. And I would love to see the Medina, Medina Marie epoch someday. Goddamn right. Well, folks, um, thanks for listening. Uh, it, it really, uh, you know, I'm not going to... Uh, be belabor the point. I'm not going to Steve Wood the point and get and get uh, admonished by uh, Judge Carpenter, um, but you know we're putting in the hours here this week, and we'd we'd appreciate a little love on the on the patron side. So you know what to do. I'm not going to fucking bore you with it. 
Um, the other thing I want to announce, we'll have a new episode tomorrow with Cheyenne Miller. There's going to be an addendum because we're going to do some updates, like we, as, as Carl just explained a lot of, of what's happening. Um, and we'll talk to you next week, and we will have by then the names of the five individuals who have won a signed copy of Hal Weitzman's book, What's the Matter with Delaware? Um, we, we cut it off at the 15th. There are uh, a nice uh, a nice mix there of $5 a month or, or more patrons. And uh, we're going to draw them out of a hat. They're going to be contacted in the next probably five days. And we're going to get their books out to them. So that'll be fun. And uh, and for everybody who hasn't uh, signed up yet but but is thinking about it, we're going to do more of this kind of stuff. Uh, I was People are always saying, like, when are you going to get, like, uh, like, the swag, like, the T-shirts and stuff? And it just wasn't my, it's not, like, my style. Um so, like, giving out books from people I know, that seems like something I could do. So I think we're going to do more of that. So, Carl, thanks again for, for sticking with us through this whole week. It's been unbelievable you putting these, uh, you putting these up every fucking morning, man. You're crushing it. Well, it's not like I have a job or anything. Well, <laughs> you know what? Let's, let's not talk about that. Bill, thank you. Thank you for riding. I can't wait for next week. You guys all have to look forward to. We're going, we are going to do a Magic Bus Day. Um, I, it might be Tuesday, it might be Wednesday, not sure yet, but we're going to do a 301 Magic Bus Day, and that's going to be uh, quite a thing. Maybe we'll record from the bus, like zoom in from the bus, because it has free Wi-Fi. Perfect. Maybe we could live stream. Hmm. All good ideas. All good ideas. All right. GN, gentlemen. G-N-N-L-I-B. Left is best. <laughs> <laughs>